We have a commonality. We all share a quality that, well, unites us as humans. You know what that is? That's just choir. Y'all, y'all look at me. That's just them. They're good. Didn't they do good? Give, give, give them some love, y'all. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Our commonality is that we're all broken. Every one of us, we're all sinners. We've fallen short of God's glorious standards. And we talked about that last week. We talked about living in the freedom, the reality that God has forgiven us. God has let us go. Now, here's some things I want you to, to think about, okay? In fact, even maybe even jot this down. Our brokenness can define us or refine us. The outcome depends upon your response to Jesus. Now, when I wrote that, I was thinking about this, that so many times we want to lay in languish over our brokenness. That if we're bitter, well, I've discovered this, and we talk, we'll talk more about this next year, that bitterness becomes evident in a person's life usually the first 30 seconds you meet them. Their bitterness will come to the surface in their conversation. You can meet them, hi, my name is Scott Weatherford, and then pretty soon, 30 seconds in, you'll find out they're bitter over something. Now, I made that statement to my friend, Mitch, when we were in Nicaragua, and we met a lady who very much made me look like a prophet, didn't she, Mitch? Because in 30 seconds, her bitterness came to the surface. And, but sometimes we want to lay in that bitterness. We want to lay in our brokenness. We let our brokenness define us. We call ourselves victims. Or we call ourselves, and rightfully you are, or you call yourself uh, you know, a, an addict or addicted or, or whatever, or dysfunctional or depressed. Or, it would, the list could go on and on. But I want to tell you something. God does not define you by your brokenness. He defines you by his grace. And he defines you by his love. He doesn't look at you and say, there's Scott, he is this kind of sinner. He looks at me and he says, there's Scott, I saved him from his sinfulness. I saved him from the curse of his family's sinfulness. Because God wants to refine us through our brokenness, not define us because of our brokenness. Now this weekend in our More of Us series, we're going to deal with generational sin. The stuff that comes upon us from our families. Now some of you think that these are, uh, these, some of these are passed down from your family before you. And generational sins are really hard to, to identify and they're hard to, to beat. But Jesus can, can overcome them. He can set you free. He can heal your broken soul. I have a friend of mine who asked this question. Do you want it all from Jesus? Do you want forgiveness of your sins and forgiveness of your sin against? And you've heard me say that to enough, so I'm going to now say I have often said, instead of giving him credit. That was supposed to be funny, but you guys are a little slow. But truth, I want you to look at this passage. It's found in Exodus chapter 20. Verses five through six. And you know, if you're a scholar, you know that this is right in the heart of the Ten Commandments as Moses is getting the commandments of God. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. Now, if you're an underliner or a circle or, or, or to memorize this, I want you to circle the word lay. Uh, some call it visit. Uh, others call it I, I, I curse. But we'll talk about that wings. I lay the sins of the parents upon the children. The entire family's affected even the children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. And that's italicized and underlined 
at least it is in my notes, not in your notes, but in, in my notes it is because I want you to understand for those who reject me. That's a key passage. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations for those who love me and obey my commands. That for those who reject me, you have the propensity of this, but for those who love me, I lavish this upon you. And, and so there's the temporary three, four generation, then there's the blessing of the thousand generation. So what is generational sin and why does it matter and why do I have to have this laid upon me from my parents, their parents, their parents before them? Just like we have a physical DNA and we have a behavioral DNA, it's called epigenetics, that you walk like your dad or have motions like your mom or tendencies like one of your grandparents, that's called epigenetics. You have that kind of behavioral epigenetics. We also have a spiritual DNA. The spirituality that's passed down to us that, that, that can cause us lots of troubles. Now, I want to define a list of generational sins. And as I kind of kept working on this, working on this, working on this, and I, I've talked about this a lot before in, in other churches I pastored, and every time I deal with this, it gets a little bit clearer to me. But I want to give you this list. Addictions and lying and anger and racism Pride, elitism, entitlement, arrogance, judgmentalism, legalism, sexual dysfunction, poor decision-making, worry, outburst of rage, false views of God, gossip, slander, suspicion. And just a quick kind of listing, and I'm not going to go into the descriptions of what each one of these things and how they manifest, but I think you could probably start making a checklist. Yeah, got that. Yeah, got that. Yeah, got that. Yeah, got that. Oh, I don't want that, but I got it. Yeah, oh. Wow. And I could go on, but I think you get the, the drift that we have this propensity for sin. And the question is, do I want it all from Jesus? Do I want the forgiveness of my sins and the forgiveness of being sinned against, the sins I've inherited? Do I want the forgiveness of these things? Tara asked me, my wife, she asked me a question this week, <clears throat> a theological question. She said, Scott, we know that sin came into the world when Adam and the woman disobeyed God through the temptation of the serpent. But when did Satan fall? Did, did he become, the devil become the devil before God created or after created? Was it in the period of creation? When did Satan fall to the earth and become this evil one, the tempter? And you know, instead of saying, well, baby, I don't know, let's call Stan, <laughs> my brother. I gave an attempt to answer, and I started thinking logically. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't. We just know that he fell, and pride made the devil the devil. I'm thinking he probably fell somewhere after day six, when God created man. That Satan rebelled because he saw the object of God's love was man. And Satan fell out of pride, and he fell onto the earth, and his soul goal in his, his damnable existence is to bring detriment to God, to hurt God, to wound God, to show God his intimacy, his, his hate for God. So he attacks the very ones God's love and God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you more than anything. So Satan wants to attack what God loves. If you can't attack the one that you want to attack, you can attack your loved ones, the ones you love. You want to wound me, you go after Tara. 
You want to fight with me, you go after Tara. Uh, you want to really get a fight with me, you go after my kids. If you really, really want to go to war, you go after those two little girls, my grandbabies. And that's the way God feels about us. He has that passion for us, that love for us. And that's why he demonstrated his love while we were sinners, Christ died. So the thing is not the timing of when Satan fell. The reality is that we are all fallen because of the garden. Paul said it this way, by one man, sin came into the world. Who was that man? Adam. But by one man, the God man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, sin has been obliterated through the cross. And freedom now, the pathway to freedom has been forged by a dying Savior who shed his blood for me and you. That's good news, wouldn't you say? So today, let's deal with generational sin. Let's identify, because I think some of you are repeating things you don't even know you're repeating. And it's hard to get free from something you're not aware of. And let's identify and let's move towards freedom. What do you think? Do you want more of this? Yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you speak through me. That will not be my words or my thoughts or even the direction of my thinking that brings us truth. But Father, your word that brings us truth. So I thank you for what you're going to say and do. And I pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Go ahead and take out your notes and let's jot some things down. The first thing in the step towards recognizing our sin is to come to grips with your own sin. Socrates said this, an unexamined life is not worth living. An unexamined life is not worth living. You've heard me say an unexamined life is a dangerous life. And so we have to look at our own selves. You must make an effort to examine your life. Why are you prone to do what you do? Why are you prone to do what you do? Um, Hank Williams Jr., the great theologian, he said, if I get drunk and sing all night long, it's just a whoo, busted. Okay, his daddy was a drunkard, and he has followed in his footsteps. And it, so you say, okay, why is that? And, and he wears it as a badge of honor that I can't help it because my, it's my family. And some of you are repeating the same kind of, uh, let me think of a theological word, stupid behavior because your family did it. Your family was racist, so now you're a racist. Your family were drunk, so now you're a drunk. Your family was, had outbursts of anger and could not control, so you have that. Your family failed to confront dysfunction, so you failed to confront dysfunction. Your family was bitter, so now you're bitter. Do you see where I'm going with this? And you carry this stuff instead of going, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And looking at yourself honestly, and, and dealing with it. Often our excuses of bad behaviors, we, beha- we excuse it by genetics or by external pressures. Or Do y'all remember Flip Wilson? Some of y'all do. Some of y'all are too young. The next crowd will be too young. But he had this thing. He said, the devil made me do it. Some of y'all remember that comedic phrase where you'd say, the devil made me do it. And And we want to blame the devil on everything. You know, the devil has a lot less work than we think he does because we're helping the devil without his assistance. You know, the devil says, I don't even have to work over there. They're going to be stupid by themselves. Watch. And so we have this propensity, this proneness to bad behavior. And I find this interesting 
that this pronouncement found in the middle of the Ten Commandments is tied to this great con commandment, this context of worshiping God or worshiping false gods. Let me read this for you. This is for uh, 20, Exodus 24 through 6. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images or likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or is in the earth beneath or is in the waters under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto a thousand of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, the root of generational sin is sin. And sin breeds sin, and that leads to death. Sin is, this, this is the definition. It's doing what I want to do when I want to do it, regardless of what God says about it. Doing what I want to do when I want to do it, regardless of what God says about it. And the bottom line of sin is this. I will be God. It's bottom line. I will be my own God. I will worship myself. I will do what I want to do when I want to do it. And guess what? You make a lousy God. You don't know enough. You're not powerful enough. You're temporal. You're, you're weak-willed and easily convinced. You're easily led astray. You make a lousy God. God. And this is the oldest lie in the Bible. You go back to the garden when the woman was tempted by the serpent. He said, eat this, your eyes will be open and you will be a God. And she ate it, her eyes were open, and then she realized she was living separated from God. See, your sins have cut you off. But we have a Savior who wants to graft you back in. I think this is amazing. And I, I like the fact that, that, that this is addressed in the middle of worshiping God. Now, I wrote this down. I want to read it for you. I hate to read to you, but I, I, I wrote it, so I'm going to read it. God doesn't share his, his throne with any other. The worship of any God of others than God is illogical and immoral. It appears that the root of generational sin is found in the parents rejecting God and worshiping a false God or even their own twisted philosophy of life. Brokenness of humanity is passed down. We are born sinners because we have been begotten by sinners. Spiritual Epigenetics is passed down. The sad consequences of parental sin is often experienced by the behaviors of their children. Oh. And this is why you're dealing with, with what's passed down. You're living with the consequences of the previous generation's sinful behavior. Now, hold on a second. Notice the word lay or visited. He lays the sins or visited the sins. Throughout scripture, you will find God, and he says this. He doesn't hold the children accountable for the sins of their parents. He doesn't. What do you mean? This misinterpretation of the passage leads you to believe that generational sin is unavoidable. 
but it's not. That's not the case. You will have the propensity of the sin by the choice, but the choice not to fall victim to it. The struggle most of us have is that we don't even recognize it and we de-da-de our way into our brokenness. Oh. So I need to do some sin genealogy. Oh. I need to look at why were my grandparents racist? Hmm. Doesn't mean I have to be, but I need to look at it. Uh, I had eye surgery this week. And, um, and I'm not wearing glasses. Uh, and I can see y'all now. When I get my other eye fixed, I'm going to see y'all real good. But I got my glasses just in case. I need to fall back on it. Just in the case I need to keep an eye on Dr. Cheatham out there. Put my glasses on so I can see. Do you know why I have bad eyes? It's passed down. Somewhere down in my family's background, my mother's side of the family in particular, my mother had cataracts when she was seven years old. And she had them removed then. They took out her lens and she wore these huge, thick glasses all her life until they developed a contact lens for her. But she suffered with very, very poor eyesight her whole life. And as a classical pianist, it was very hard for her. And I would watch her play the piano and just literally lean in to see the notes because there's some kind of critter trying to get me. I can see it now. That's kind of interesting. He's probably always been up here. I just now seen it. Kind of like sin. One of the ophthalmologists dealing with my niece uh, developed the same kind of problem my mother had. He said, you know, this is probably a genetic, a genetic a mutation from someone who had syphilis in the past. Now, my mama's side of the family is a preacher in every generation. Now, if y'all don't know what syphilis is, Dr. Cheatham, he'll tell you what it is later. You're welcome, Doc. That's why you're a doctor, right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Back, 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 back. Focus, focus, focus. Okay. Somebody back there somewhere was up with something that wasn't no good, and now it affected us physically down through the generations. Hmm. I need to do some digging. I, um, and I'm not going to get into a bunch of confession because it really ain't none of your business, but I will tell you this. The Weatherford family has an issue with, with anger, with rage. We have outbursts of anger, usually verbally, not physically, uh, except for my uncle would fight everybody that came around. He fought all the time. I mean, literally fought till he couldn't fight. He got too old to fight. He'd fight everybody. He's like, what's going on with that? You remember that Indian I showed y'all a few weeks ago? William Henry Weatherford, Chief Red Eagle. He massacred 525 people one afternoon at Fort Mims. He might have had an anger issue. <laughs> Just saying. Passed down. On my dad's side of the family, there was a, a, a young man hung in Fort Worth in the, around the turn of the last century for murdering. He was a cowboy and he murdered four people. He was hung for murder. It might be an issue there. Issue there. Some of y'all might need to kind of dig in and say, why are we like this? 
Are we keeping up family traditions? Do we really want to break that? Do we want to live a life full of outbursts of rage and anger? And I can excuse it. I can say to Tara when I get mad and I raise my voice and I get mad, I can say, I'm not mad, I'm just loud. You know what that's called? Deception. The lion. Yeah, straight up. Or I can say, you know, I, I, I can't help it. My family is just loud and we get... Now, I'm getting to places where... You know, my wife is in the crowd and she's expected repentance next week. Y'all, I've done put myself on the line. But I need to deal with this. What's going on? And of course, there's a whole litany of things that I have a propensity to. And, and before you start judging me, why don't you look at yourself? Why don't you look at the own log in your own eye before you deal with the speck in mine? In fact, Jesus says that. You know, the log in your, uh, the speck was some small ceremonial infraction like you didn't stand up at the right time during the Jewish ritual, and the log was some grievous sin against God. Maybe instead of dealing with my speck, you need to deal with your log. And the only person that can deal with your log is you and Jesus. That's the only two. And you need to deal with it. You say, okay, why am I doing this? And what am I passing down to my children in doing this? Because an unexamined life is not worth living. An unexamined life is dangerous. And I love the fact that it's laid upon us or visited upon us. I don't have to do this. I don't have to be this. I don't have to. I gave this talk in Victoria, Texas years ago, and it wasn't in this form here because I've learned more. But as I gave this talk, this guy came forward. He said, Scott, I want to tell you something. The men of my family have molested the girls in my family for seven generations, and it ends with me. Because I know, I recognize it. And it ends with me. And it ended with him. In fact, the problem with incestuous behavior was locked into a community in South Texas, the South Corner, and I'm not going to say where, but it was locked in there where it was, it was common because of sinfulness. Generation after generation after generation after generation. And when it came to light, God brings freedom. So do you really want it all from Jesus? Do you want freedom? Listen to what the psalmist says. But I will call on God and the Lord will what? Rescue me. The Lord will rescue me. In Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. That I have a God who breaks the curse of sin. And Jesus broke the curse of sin on Calvary's cross. Oh, I don't have to become what my family was. I can become who Jesus says I am. Some of you, this is the message you've been longing for. For you felt trapped in the generational sin of your family. But Jesus has come to set you free. You can stop the propensity for generational sin with a single decision today that declares, Jesus, I am yours. And live in the reality of that freedom because truth sets you free. Next week, we're going to talk about the generational sin of worry and anxiety. Our nation struggles with anxiety 
at the highest level in recorded history of psychosis. We are the most anxious people ever, ever. There is a generation, our current generation, that wears their anxiety as a badge of honor. And that's crazy. And the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. With everything, with prayer, with thanksgiving, prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And we'll talk more about that, what that means next week. Make your request on to God, and God can break the power. Some of you are suffering under your present sinful behavior and condition because you were unaware. You have been sinned against by your family, and God wants to free you from your sinned against state that you might live in freedom. Your family's behavior has launched a brokenness in your life that you cannot overcome, but Jesus says, I am the overcomer. In this world, you will have trouble, but fear not. I have overcome the world. Jesus will set you free. Do you believe this? And then you can become a channel of blessing. A channel of blessing. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations for those who love me and obey my commandments. And I thought about this that breaking the power of generational sin, of all this dysfunction, is always rooted in this one common thing, that I am worshiping a false God. Now that I'm worshiping the true God, that the power of generational sin is broken, I can identify that and not repeat that, and now I can love the Lord. And when I'm loving the Lord and living in him, he says, I'm not only gonna love you, but I'm gonna lavish my love on the thousand generations. I'm gonna lavish that love. And I talked about my eye dysfunction from this family member who did this, but I need to also talk to you about the generational blessing that my family, my mother's family, passed on to me by my grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents and their grandparents. And And the generational sin that my father broke and started pushing the generational blessing upon me, finding out more about my grandfather and my grandmother on my father's side who really loved the Lord and who really lived with for him and how they broke generational sins and they lavish love. And then I want to tell you, I want to give you a formula for how do you lavish love on your family. Do y'all want to hear that? Do you really want to hear how to lavish love on your family? Then get your pencils out because I'm going to give you some stuff. And this is some stuff that I learned from my very good friend and mentor, Dr. Gary Smalley. He said these things. You got to tell them you love them. You can't assume it. You got to tell them. You got to tell them your faith story. Tell them your journey to righteousness. Tell them how Jesus saved you. My father, he told us about that night in the Belgium snow when he knelt down and he asked Jesus into his heart because his friend Charlie Cook kept talking to him about the Lord and Charlie was killed in the back of a bomber and he said, told my dad, the last thing he told my dad, he said, you need to give your heart to Christ. And in Belgium Snow, my dad gave his heart to Christ. And he said at that night, all his fear was gone. And he lived the rest of his life with no fear. That's why he could say at his deathbed, it's nothing but a little dying, no fear. Y'all, this week, our dear friend Lee Rains passed away. He passed away Friday. I got to see him on Thursday. 
And I went and I prayed with him and I talked with him. And you know what? Lee Raines had no fear. None. He was ready. He's ready. His birthday was yesterday. He celebrated birthday in heaven. And he's one of our great godly men. He told his family his faith story. He closed the loop with their head and their heart with, I love you. I love you. Tara's dad, who passed away in 1995, he told her every day, I love you. I love you. I love you. Every day he told her. Tara didn't forget that. When he passed away, Tara grabbed my hand and she looked at me and said, you know you're taking my daddy's place. Every day, no matter where I am, I tell that girl I love her. I tell my kids I love them. I tell my grandkids I love them. I tell y'all I love you. Why? Because we have to close the loop between our head and our heart with our mouth. And some of y'all will kiss your horse, but won't, won't kiss your kids. So you got to show them with appropriate physical touch. Hugs and kisses and, and closeness and physical connectivity because that physical connectivity is the glue that binds you in relationships. Why in the world did Peter say, greet one another with a holy kiss? Why did he say that? So church gatherings would be creepy? No. To say we love you and to show that we love you. Handshakes and hugs and embraces. And you do this for your family. and You got to tell them. You got to invest time with them. The most precious thing you give to people is your time. Because you ain't going to get any more of that. You'll get some more money, but you ain't going to get no more time. And you invest your time. And then here's, I think, it's probably the most important thing. You give them security by placing high value on them. You say things like this. Baby, if you ever leave me, I'm going with you. I'm always going to love you. I'm never not going to love you. It doesn't matter what you do or where you become or what you become. I'm going to love you. And my children have put that into the test for me. But I'm always going to love them. I'm not always going to agree with them, but I'm always going to love them. And there will always be a place for them in my home because I want to give them security. And I want to tell you this. This is exactly how God thinks of you. He's always going to love you. And there's nothing you can do to separate you from his love. And it's that security that you're treasured, you're valued, and you give that. And Jesus does these things for you. And when you live in the reality of Jesus' love, you can live in the reality of giving love away and lavishing it to a thousandth generation. Johnny Weinbrenner is here someplace. He might be drinking coffee out front, but I met Johnny. He was leading worship day when he was 15, and I said this to him. I said, Johnny, I'm going to love you too. I'm dead. After that, you're on your own. And now he's no longer 15. I think he's 40-something, and I still love that kid. And I see pastors and kids who've influenced over the years, and, and that love keeps growing because 
I want to tell you something. You will not remember my sermons, but you will remember if I love you and how I made you feel. And I'm not talking about just me. I'm talking about you. Do you want to be remembered from, as an angry jerk or as from an amazing lover of people? Do you want to, do you want to be remembered as a curmudgeon who griped about everything or as a lover who encouraged people? Now, it ain't how you start, it's how you finish, y'all. And some of y'all been curmudgeons for a long time. And you come from a long line of curmudgeons. And you think it's just your spiritual gift to agitate. It is not. Do you want to break that? Do you want to break that? There are people in this city called Wimberley who will not come to this gathering called First Baptist Church because they believe you're a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. Do you want that? Do you? It's not how you start, it's how you finish. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. I'm going to tell y'all something. I'm probably crazy, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. I am crazy. I had a dream the other night that God invited me to start a network of First Baptist churches across the United States that have determined to redeem the name. And I woke up from it and said, that's crazy. And I'm telling y'all, that's crazy. So this week I reached out to our denomination and said, hey, hey, what about this? Do you know what I've heard from them? Nothing. But will that keep us from being what God wants us to be? No way. No way. Don't you want to be a part of a movement that launches the generational blessing to a thousandth generation for those who love God and keep his commandments? Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want your kids to know that? Don't you want your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, their children, their children, their children to a thousand generations where a thousand generations from now, they won't talk about your ancestor who massacred 525 people at Fort Mims, Alabama. They'll talk about this person who loved Jesus and lavish the love on everyone they knew. Do you want it all from Jesus? Do you want it all? Do you want forgiveness of your sins and the forgiveness of what you've inherited and the forgiveness of being sinned against? Do you want it all from Jesus? To take it. He offers it. Old Saul we used to sing. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. I will rise and go to Jesus. He will embrace me in his arms, in the arms of my dear Savior. Oh, there are ten thousand charms.